Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen. I am Peter Kapsner filling in for today and the rest of the week. And again, just so enjoying my time with all of you, whether you're listening in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Duluth, Minnesota, Fargo, North Dakota, Madison, Wisconsin, Sioux Falls, Waterloo, Hartford, Connecticut, streaming on the app, wherever you are all around the country. It is so good to gather together like this as believers starting our day, reminding one another to fix our eyes on Jesus as we are walking out life in what can be a very disorienting world. If you didn't get a chance to catch that first hour, especially the first half of the hour for those of us interested in hearing God's voice and being able to make decisions in a way that would be consistent with his kingdom. Highly recommend going back and listening to the first segment with Pastor Steph Williams O'Brien, Make a Move is the book that she has released. And uh, somebody who's been in pastoral ministry for a lot of years, has taught at seminaries, has been around the block on that topic. So you want to catch that again at My Faith Radio. Dot com. Up next, in a few moments, we're going to talk with Mindy Belts of World Magazine about some of the headlines, including one of the more significant headlines coming out of the nation of Israel in terms of the change of leadership with Netanyahu stepping aside, being voted out as of yesterday after a 12-year run as prime minister. And that should be pretty significant for Israel moving forward. And for those of you that have had a chance to travel to Israel at some point, you'll know about what I am about to speak. But for those of you that haven't, I would certainly recommend if you can ever have the opportunity to go at any place on earth, going to Israel really opens up the scriptures in so many ways because the writers are writing from a sense of geography. They're writing from a sense of the scenery around them and, and the, the teachings and the parables of Jesus in particular come right out of that. I, I appreciate the show, The Chosen, right now because it does seem to faithfully represent some of the geography and, and the locations in terms of what they look like. And was with a friend of mine, a pastor friend, this last weekend on a, on a Friday morning having breakfast, and he brought out the parable of the growing seed from the book of Mark that comes right out of that sort of Israeli Hebrew society, the agricultural society that helps us understand God's kingdom. And in Mark 4, Verse 26, it said, Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And for those of us that sometimes feel a bit disempowered in life, or maybe our life doesn't matter, or maybe we thought we were going to be doing big things for God by whatever metrics we think big things might be. Uh, it's pretty much impossible for any of us, regardless of our platforms, regardless of our ministries, regardless of our background, regardless of our education. We can't do big things for God on our own. I think that gets us into trouble so often to to somehow put other people on platforms and pedestals. Uh, and And in terms of God's kingdom, what I love about this parable is we just simply get up in the morning and we scatter the seed of God's kingdom through the gifts, through the relationships, through the abilities, through the humility and the honesty, all of who we are as the beautiful children of light. We just simply throw the seed on the ground and then we just go to sleep. 
And uh, going to sleep in scripture is something that uh, is often a very bad posture. It means that you're dead to sin, you're dead to what's going on. But in this case, in Jesus's parable, to go to sleep is a good thing. It just means that you trust the results and you trust what's going to happen as you scatter the seed to someone else, not trying to grow a massive ministry or be important and big. You just scatter the seed. And then on its own, the seed sprouts and it grows. It's not on its own. It's because God begins to intersect with the work that we do. And so the farmer woke up the next day and that seed had sprouted and grown, though he does not know how. And I think that's a great invitation for us moving forward as believers is just to continue to be faithful in whatever circles we find ourselves, knowing that uh, words like big and and important and significant are probably too often co-opted by cultural values and not by the values of the kingdom. This is Peter Kapsner. Delighted to be with you today. We'll be up with Mindy Belts next to talk about some of the headlines coming out of the nation of Israel. Welcome back to the show. It's about 10 minutes past the top of the hour and delighted to be joined by Mindy Bells of World Magazine this morning to talk through some of the global headlines that will matter to us as believers. Good morning, Mindy. Good morning, Peter. Great to have you on the program. I noticed that there is pretty big news coming out of Israel this weekend, and I know that it was not unexpected that they would vote Netanyahu out of power, but this is a really big move both in what happened and the way that it happened. So take our listeners into this a bit. Yeah, I mean, Netanyahu has been a fixture in Israeli politics for really most of two decades, and he's been in power as uh, the prime minister, which um, makes him the head of government there, uh, parliamentary system, for 12 years. And so this is a really, uh, you know, someone noted that many young people in Israel cannot remember an Israel without um, Benjamin Netanyahu, or Bibi, as he's known there, uh, in charge. And uh, he has had a signature rule that has been, you know, strong on security, uh, very close relationships, particularly we saw under the Trump administration, um, very tight relationship there. So uh, the changes that are ahead are, are potentially major because of the kind of coalition that has come in after him. And um and I think the changes for the U.S. relationship with with uh, a Biden administration and uh, a new Naftali Bennett uh, administration in Israel. With the new administration coming in, Mindy, how are they going to be different than Netanyahu? You referenced the idea that it's not only different there, but it's different here locally in the States. And and Israel obviously has so many religious undertones associated with it and many different views about how to practice the Jewish faith in Israel. What are we going to see that is maybe different with the new administration in Israel versus under Netanyahu? Well, this is what's fascinating about it, and I think hard for Americans to to get our heads around because we're talking about a parliamentary system where no one received enough votes to take power, including uh, Netanyahu, although he received the most in the election. So, you know, in in an American system, he would be the next, uh, he would be in power again. But in this system, he had a, all the powers had to come together to form a coalition. And um, so, so Naftali Bennett's Yamina party is actually, many say, to the right of, of um, Netanyahu's Likud party, which has been in power for, 
for decades on and off. Um, however, in order to succeed, Naftali Bennett has formed this coalition that is just remarkable. That has never happened in Israeli's history, where you have these these right parties, you have a centrist party, and you have, for the very first time, you have an Arab-Israeli party. And so we're going to see, first of all, whether that coalition can actually survive, whether they can actually find a way to work together. I think given where Israel is, um, a democracy and a pluralist society that is situated in the middle of the Middle East, surrounded by enemies, um, how they, if they can find a way to work together, it will be a first. It will be something for all of us to learn from. Um, what people believe will happen is that this coalition will quickly fall apart. But right now, they all are committed to working together because they can only succeed if they maintain the coalition. I hope that makes sense. But it's it's fascinating. And then, you know, how how the Arab-Israeli party, for instance, will um, – uh, what kind of power, what kind of uh, push it will exert on these uh, more traditional uh, parties in Israel will be something that is just uncharted territory. Well, I think where it does really make sense, Mindy, and, and maybe one of the things to look for is when you do have such a divided coalition without a majority in power and, and maybe some some different philosophical, political, and even religious differences between these parties, uh, Israel is such a small country. I think we underestimate how, how little it is in the context of the Middle East just from a geography standpoint, and it's surrounded on all sides. If they don't hold together, then it, it might get rougher for them in that part of the world where there is a lot of strife. That's right. I think that there are many things that tempt us to think that, that there are a lot of parallels between the United States and Israel, and there are. You have a progressive, successful economy. You have a democracy. You have a lot of things that are very familiar to Americans. But the thing that is different is the security situation. And when we had this 11-day episode with Hamas and with uh, rockets being fired from Gaza into Israel, an unprecedented level of attack, both in terms of the reach of the missiles and the number of them. At, one, at, at multiple points, you had um, the Tel Aviv airport, the, the um, Ben-Gurion airport closed. And what you realize when that happens is that when that airport closes, Israel is cut off from the world. And that's where it's different because that's never something that the United States faces. We are surrounded by water for the most part. Um, and, and this is the dynamic that Israel is working within, is that they they have made an amazing country. You alluded to it in your earlier segment of what an amazing place it is, both for its history and for what it has accomplished in the last 50 years in building this strong nation. And yet always they are vulnerable because of where they're located. Yeah, you can certainly feel the strife when you're walking around the country. You can the the tension is often thick in the air. I remember walking around Jerusalem and near the Wailing Wall, the the, the famous mount of uh, that's still left over from the days of Solomon's Temple, and pictures that people ought to see. And and while you're sitting there, maybe eating at a cafe overlooking the Wailing Wall, there will be 17 and 18 year old Israeli soldiers fully decked out in military gear with sub-automatic weapons. And it, it's just, it's an interesting place of beauty and conflict and, and strife and wonder. And again, I highly recommend going to any believer that has a chance to do that because it really does bring the scriptures to life. Mindy, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will change the subject a little bit. Uh, Kamala Harris, our vice president, had an interesting trip to South America, that was, or Central and South America, that wasn't terribly well received. So I want to get your perspective on that next. 
choice. Producer Ryan Mitchell filling in for this morning. That gets us all woken up here at about 19 minutes past the top of the hour. I love that song. We're chatting with Mindy Bells from World Magazine about some of the headlines. And Mindy, we are talking off the air, you and me, about uh, falafel, street food in Israel. I don't know why that's uh, coming up, but suddenly I have a hankering for a falafel from Israel. Have you had one there too? Oh my goodness. I, I My secret is I go for the food, but I don't tell people that. I actually go for the reporting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. What a great, uh, great byproduct of being there. Well, there's some headlines out of Nigeria that are Oh, they're disturbing, as they often are from that neck of the woods in terms of how Christians are being treated. We see global persecution on the rise by most metrics. So take us into that story a little bit. Yeah, there's a, a, a watchdog group that came out with a report uh, in May that told us pretty uh, act, I, I think, reliably that nearly 1,500 people have been killed just this year, 2021. Mm. We're talking January through April more than 2,200 abducted in um, what we can rightly call an Islamic insurgency. I I see that papered over quite a lot. And they, you know, there will be talk about conflict between Christians and Muslims. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about um, Muslim Islamic jihadist groups that are basically running, have been running rampant for a while in the North of Nigeria. And now, and keep in, mind that Nigeria is one of the largest countries in Africa. It has the largest economy. A few years ago, it surpassed South Africa in having the largest economy in Nigeria. So this is in Africa. So this is not, uh, this is something that is not just locally uh, based strife. This is something that has regional and I think international implications. But, you know, it also is, is really uh, turning a country that has had a pretty much of a 50-50 split among its Christian Muslim population into one where the Christian population is very much under the gun. Um, and um, I think one thing that we at World have been looking at more and more is is this rise in abductions, because what we're hearing from people is that it's, it's becoming just a common thing that business people, uh, schoolgirls, as we've seen in the headlines, anyone is subject to abduction from these groups and then these incredibly high million dollar ransom demands that are um, impoverishing people. The root underneath this is that the government is not taking proper action, not uh, making this a priority to do battle with. And, and there are a lot of questions and a lot of uh, reasons flying under that for for why the Nigerian government is not making this its top priority, not going after these groups. I think that they probably need help to do that. And I think that there's been no Western power, no other African power that has come in. But it seems to me that a a force similar to the kind of regional forces we've seen help bring peace in places like Sudan is probably what's needed there. Uh, But we'll see. Again, just it's it's a big country. They have a lot of resources of their own, and the question is, will they deploy them and make a priority in terms of saving their Christian population? Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you about, Mindy. As a journalist, as an observer of world events, have you seen scenarios that are akin to what's going on in Nigeria and actually see some progress being made to alleviate some of these horrible circumstances? And if so, if you've seen that over your years as a journalist, what were maybe one or two things that needed to be at play? Well, I think um, I think in one sense it is unprecedented. Again, it's because of the size and, and the and the type of country that Nigeria is. 
But in, in another, there are some similarities to Sudan. There are some similarities to what we see happening in Ethiopia right now. Um, I, I believe one thing that, the, that much of the media misses is that at base, this is strongly a religious conflict. And, um, and, and even the governments try to paper over that, try to, try to uh, kind of uh, mediate that a little bit. But at base, these are Islamic extremist groups going after vulnerable Christian populations. And and generally, it's not always the case, but generally the Christian populations are not fighting back. They generally don't have the resources to. They tend to be agrarian populations. Um, and so so I think calling it what it is is the first thing that, that is helpful. And, and then secondly, being willing to stand up. And, and that goes for countries like the United States, being willing to stand up for these populations. The United States, the, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom held a hearing just last week uh, on Wednesday highlighting this problem and, and uh, plans to issue a report that I think will be helpful. And we'll see. I think there's some reason to think that the Biden State Department will take this issue seriously. It's just that it always gets push down the, the list of priorities as, as other conflicts take precedent. Mm. One more topic here that we can touch on this morning, Mindy, is that is the visit of our vice president down into Central and South America. And it was it, you, you don't have to re, be a Republican or a Democrat to sort of look from the outside looking in and say maybe there could have been a better way to handle this part of it, especially in an interview with Lester Holt where a lot of people are concerned about what's happening at the border. There seems to be a crisis there in terms of immigration, how to best handle this. And in an interview with NBC News' Lester Holt, he asked the question, do you have any plans to visit the border? Of which, to which uh, Harris responded, at some point, you know, we are going to the border. So this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. And then Holt said, you haven't been to the border and Harris mm-hmm. said, and I haven't been to Europe. I don't understand the point mm-hmm. that you are making. So this was maybe not her best moment. I don't think anybody liked this trip. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't see uh, Biden officials. I don't see Democrats in Congress, and I certainly don't see Republicans embracing this trip. I mean, the point of a vice president making a foreign trip like this to an area that is in crisis is to be diplomatic, and and you know Kamala Harris just wasn't diplomatic. Um, she came off, I think, as uh, sharp and um, sort of scolding when she spoke in Guatemala. Um, y- y- you know, on a policy level, what she was saying was maybe understandable. She told Guatemalans, you know, don't come. Uh, but it was just simply the tone and the way that she did it that it it, it just came off as, I mean, to me, watching a couple of her speeches, it sounded like someone made me make this trip and I'm trying to make the most of it. Um and so, and and then the comment, you know, the other piece of it is that going somewhere, you would expect someone to at least make an attempt to go to the heart of the crisis. It's not hard to go to the U.S.-Mexico border. It wouldn't have been hard for her while she's in Mexico meeting with top officials to actually go and do handshakes with people who are sitting, waiting, trying to figure out their status on the Mexican side of the U.S. border. And, and that's where the policy rub is right now. You have the Biden administration that has rolled back the Trump policy um, on migration. And yet we're not, you know, we continue to see that the numbers are surging. They're higher than they were under the Trump administration. 
you would expect that this trip that sending the vice president was in some way meant to answer the questions about uh, Biden policy on on the border. And instead, I think it just raised more. And it didn't even seem like she was attempting to answer questions. The the moment with Lester Holt that you cite is is kind of, um, I think, the epitome of that. She simply changed the subject. Yeah, whether you agree or disagree politically with one side of the aisle or the other, the the sense of leadership in terms of, of moving into a certain philosophy or decision making, you want to have some some degree of confidence in that. And at least at this point, uh, there is some it appears to be in many quarters confidence lost on that. So it'd be interesting to see in the Biden administration moving forward if they can regain that confidence. Mindy, thanks for joining us this morning. Love the way you talk through all these different headlines and just your knowledge about so many different parts of the world. Thank you for having me, Peter. We'll take a short break and have some bottom of the hour news. And in our last segment of this morning, as part of Mornings Without Carmen, we'll be joined by author Justin McRoberts and talk a little bit about how we can make the most out of what we've been given. I appreciate that break point this morning that feeds right into some things that we've talked about early in the morning with Adam Carrington, but they brought it up as well, is that we're talking about a battle of ideas here. And and what is so important for us as believers is to practice and to model such characteristics as intellectual humility and intellectual honesty, that we're willing to listen in mutuality with one another, and that should the circumstances or the evidence dictate that we're willing to change our views on things and enter into this is so polarizing on so many different levels. It doesn't mean that just the other side is right or wrong necessarily. It's a bit of humility into that. Well, cue up the text line. Our next guest is going to be author Justin McRoberts. He has a book called It Is What You Make of It, Creating Something Great from What You've Been Given. And we do have some copies to give away this morning. You can enter your name into a drawing to get one of the copies of the book. So I know some of you, many of you, a lot of you out there are book lovers, and you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to be put into a drawing for one of the copies of this book. It is what you make of it. Up next, Justin McRoberts. Welcome back to the show here for the 14th of June. We are joined at this time by author Justin McRoberts. And I know that many of you have already been texting into the studio because we have some copies of a book to give away that Justin has written. And you can certainly text the book, uh, the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is, Is It What You Make of It? And How to Do Good with What We Have Been Given. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I find it intriguing, your dossier, as it were, that you are an author, you're a storyteller, you're a songwriter, you're a curator, you're any number of things. You are maybe the most eclectic person I think I've ever talked to, Justin. So so what are you exactly? Um, and I guess vocationally, I'm a, I'm an artist. I do uh, what I can with the, the talents and the resources and opportunities I'm given in order to uh, provide language for people that we might live more faithfully and more completely. That's 
and so sometimes that's music and sometimes that's story and sometimes it's a podcast and sometimes it's mud. We'll just take what we got. <laughs> I love that, Justin. It's great. Again, if you're listening this morning, we have some copies of a book to give away. It is what you make of it, creating something great from what you've been given. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin, before we get into some of the mechanics, some of the ideas within the book, what prompted sure. you to write this book? Was there something going on in your own life or, or how did this idea come to you? Um, one of the things I do is I actually, I coach uh, pastors, artists, entrepreneurs. Um, over the last few years, the stories I keep running into of folks feeling the word stuck and coming up against issues in their personal lives, their professional lives, cultural issues, and using the phrase it is what it is, which I constantly, I've always disliked and then have come to actually hate. Um, because what, what I was hearing from folks is that like there were some things that were immovable, um, and I just haven't believed that. Most of the folks I was talking to were folks who had some resources available, needed to take some risks, needed to actually dig into faith a little bit deeper uh, instead of just kind of resolving themselves to the stuck place that they were. And so I started reaching back in the history of my vocational life and then in some parts of my personal life and finding places. Like, what did it look like for me to not say that? What did it look like for me to come up against something that seemed immovable and make maybe a small choice that sometimes made a small and sometimes made a big difference? And so I put a book together about it. I love that. I do think that a lot of us feel stuck, and especially as life begins to sort of have the feeling of passing us by, I suppose, as it were, and maybe some of the dreams and thoughts and ideas and hopes that you once might have had as a young person maybe didn't come to fruition. So as we think about our lives then and feeling a bit stuck in that way, what are some first steps? You talk about small things like this in terms of life can be what you make of it, and and how do you step in actively in some small ways to start maybe breaking that paralysis? Yeah, well, one of the most important things I've asked especially younger and earlier clients to do is actually make a list of the things uh, that are either uh, that they're really wanting to do, like that dream that kind of that, that makes the day, the day job seem a little bit darker. Like let's name that thing. There's a power that comes with naming it. Instead of just having this notion, you know, to be in the day job, to be in the midst of the life you're living and think, I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I was somewhere else, something else. But that longing, let's name that. What is that? To spend some time actually doing, you know, whether you call it a journaling exercise or a, some sort of like some sort of spiritual practice that searches your own heart. What is it you're actually wanting that makes today harder that you're not getting to? And then the other one is like, what's actually bugging you? Like, what is it? Let's name the things that you're not actually happy about. What what's, what are your actual disappointments? There's a power that comes with naming things in which we actually recognize and we have a little bit more power over them. If I can call it what it is, I'm not as intimidated by maybe the work it takes to get there or the work it takes to get rid of it. So, Justin, as we try to discern those things in terms of what we want to walk in moving forward, it occurs to me that I have recently qualified for the senior tour of the PGA, and, uh, and, there is, and, and, and everything in me would like to be able to be out on the tour with Phil Mickelson and the rest of them at this point in time. But I'm guessing that that probably is not a realistic dream for me right now. But so how do we discern those things that are realistic that we want to step in life and those things that are just going to remain that dreams? Uh, one, uh, you try. So like you might be right. You're probably right. Who knows? Like, maybe <laughs> You're you giving me hope here, Justin. I like, I feel so encouraged. My Good. swing is terrible. So yeah, but keep going. Yes. Yeah. 
for most of us, and I know I know you're cracking a little bit wise, but I don't know how good you are at golf. I think a lot of us actually do run into a situation in which I should say like it's really easy to dismiss those things. Like it's easy to put everything in that category. Like I'm like I'm five six and I'm forty eight years old. I'm not going to play NBA ball. <laughs> uh, like that's that's almost for sure true. But there are dreams in me that seem that big, and uh, but I actually am capable of. So. I, I'm usually with – if it's an actual passion, if it's a real passion in you, then give it a shot. Like actually take a shot at the thing because I don't want to come to the end of my life. And I'm going to, by the way. I'm definitely coming to the end of my life at that point. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have regrets that I did not try. I would rather try. The other part of it is actually having really good friends around your life. This is why we do everything in community. It's why Christ called the community people around him because he said, this is what it looks like for us to live life fully and well you do it with other people and to have really great people in your life. Sometimes that means they say, Hey man, that is not your path. You're like your seven foot, 17 foot jumper. Is okay. And your defense is a little sloppy. So let's not name a basketball, but sometimes they say, actually I'll help you. Let's, let's figure out how to, how to get there. So the big thing in almost all of these things is like, if it's an actual passion in you, then let's give that some space and let's try. Let's see what happens before I see I can't. I should actually probably try. I love it. We're talking with author Justin McRoberts this morning. The book, It Is What You Make of It. And many of you have already texted into the studio. Please keep doing so. You can text in at 877-933-2484. You can text the word book to that phone number. We'll enter you into a drawing for some of the book copies that we have to give away for you. And if you have a question for either me or Justin, just about dreams in life, about how to step towards something, you can also text that in again one more time, 877 933 2484. Justin, when we come back after a short time away, I'm going to ask you the question about how to discern those things that uh, that we can step into if we've had failure in the past. How do we keep moving into those things and stay with it? Texts are coming in fast and furious, 877-933-2484. We have copies of a book that we can give away here this morning. It is what you make of it. We're talking with author Justin McRoberts about how to keep stepping towards those dreams, regardless of what stage you are in life. Justin, I feel substantially encouraged to hit the range after the show here because you've given me some (laughs) self-belief that just that one little step, maybe I'll make that tour someday. Well, well, at least we get somewhere, right? <laughs> You'll definitely get further than you would if you didn't try. That was that was very diplomatically done, Justin. I appreciate that. Say, I was got it. Uh, thinking about those times in my life where I've experienced failure, and they have been many. I remember getting laughed out of the room the first time I turned in my doctoral dissertation and was told mm-hmm. that I simply didn't have what it takes to finish the PhD, and thank goodness I had uh, an advisor who walked me through the entire process the next two or three years and, and was able to help me get through that, that process. But failure has a way of kind of burning itself into our brain, into our heart, into our spirit, and, and it makes us to resist, want to move forward with something again. How do you coach people that maybe still have some dreams but are like, huh, I was a zoo the last time I tried that. I don't really want to try yeah. that again. Um, again, I try to get really specific. Let's get into the thing. Let's talk. One, you know, let's talk about the failure, um, and let's 
talk about what actually specifically happened. What are, you know, the, the, the story you told about getting laughed out of the room with regards to the PhD, those can be really, really good moments because what we end up doing is we come up against our limitations and we recognize, okay, maybe I'm not where I want to be. But like the drive is if it's still there, then actually I get to learn and I get to grow. Sometimes a no is a great way forward because one, I figure out like this is what I actually need to do to actually move forward. Failure is usually just a step in a really long process. It's almost always a matter of what I do on the other side of that failure. Do I have the capacity within me when I get a big fat no from the world around me or from the board of directors? To ask, okay, great. So tell me what it is I did wrong. What did I? What did I do right? Where am I actually? It's not. It's never just a complete failure. Almost ever a complete failure. It's usually here's a piece that's missing. Here's a step you need to take. So to follow your nose, as it were, and oh, to follow your nose. There's actually a whole chapter in the book called "Follow Your Nose." It's like when you get the big fat no, try to figure out as much as you can about why. The other one is, let's say we're just going to stick with your golf dream here. Let's say you chase that dream for a little while. You might not get where you think you're going, but there are probably places you will arrive that you will not have gotten to if you don't try. So what we call failure usually has to do with some really specific conclusions about where we're supposed to end up. And we're oftentimes wrong about that. But the chase to get somewhere where we think we're going to go actually often leads us to places that maybe we should maybe we should get to. So maybe you won't get to the tour per se, but maybe you'll get to this place where you're much happier with your golf game and you can actually beat that friend you've been playing with over and over (laughs) again for the rest of your life and he'll wonder how much you've been putting the time in. I have that friend of whom you speak, and I certainly hope he's listening this morning, and I hope that you you put the fear in God him this morning, Justin, because I'm going to take him out on the golf course. But just stay within this point for a bit, because I think failure is that, that great teacher. I'm compelled by the way that Elon Musk is going about building his space program is by his own admission, he assumes that he's going to fail as he starts this new venture, that he's not going to know the whole thing. And there's the sense in which he builds these rockets and then they, he watches them get destroyed and, and learns from that process. And, and that's part of the deal is, is, to, is to not just be a, not afraid of failure, but to embrace that this is going to be part of the deal. We sort of have to set ourselves up with that expectation. Yeah, to know that I'm not going to, to know that I'm not going to land all my punches exactly where they're supposed to go. The, you know, the, again, the notion somehow that um, if I put just some effort in, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit the target. It's a, it's a little immature. The desire to do that though is really, really good. And so there's a bit of work, discernment work, right? Like, do I want to do this? Do I want to achieve this? Do I want to, you know, is this a desire God's put in my heart? Yeah, absolutely. Is it going to go exactly the way I want it to go? Probably not. You know, the Lord sent uh, one of my favorite stories, and there's a bit of this in the book. The, you know, the Lord sent um, Philip south, and he said all he said was go south. And then in the next instruction when he came to this intersection was go to that chariot and stay near it. He gave him a little bit of instruction. Now Philip had decided how that whole story was going to play out once he got that little bit of instruction. He might have missed the Ethiopian chariot in a eunuch, a Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot reading the scripture. But instead, he was faithful to that moment, and he did what was right in front of him. He made of that moment what he could make of that moment. No, he didn't have a specific plan about how it was going to turn out. He didn't know he was going to be baptizing an Ethiopian that day. But he was faithful to the steps in front of him, given what he knew. That's usually a bit more important. And failure for you and I usually comes when we decide, like, this is what it was supposed to look like, instead of saying, this is what I'm desiring, and I'm going to do what I can with it.
Uh, incredibly helpful insight, Justin. We're talking with author Justin McRoberts this morning with the book, It Is What You Make of It. And a lot of you have been texting in this morning. We do have some copies to be able to give away. So please text the word book into the studio here at 877-933-2484. One more point on that, Justin. How important is it to have people come alongside of us in our hopes and dreams? It's pretty impossible to do a lot of life by ourselves. I, I go back to the failed PhD example that at the end of that time, my advisor came and she looked at me with a little twinkle in her eye and she said, well, you, you have a good PhD in there somewhere. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. for the next three years, she went step by step, uh, page by page, thought by thought, evidence by evidence, and really came alongside. There's no chance I would have gotten to the other side of that without her. And a lot of life seems to work that way. It does. And the, you know, one of the, one of the hallmarks of an actually great friendship or a great community is the capacity and the willingness of those around us to tell us when we're wrong or tell us when things are incomplete. Again, the, you know, the definition sometimes of a failed friendship, especially in our phases of immaturity, it's like, well, I just get a lot of resistance or they don't really like me. No, maybe it's not, it might not be that they don't like you. They may not like you as you are right now. But <laughs> let's hope you're growing and becoming. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, we can't we can't get where we're supposed to be in life. We're not designed to live by ourselves. For some of us, and let's just be real honest for a second, maybe we've burned enough bridges. Maybe we actually really are bad at making friends. And in this particular area of life where we need some help making some steps and taking some faith, it's one of the reasons why there are things like coaches available. You can hire a coach for a phase of your life to work through professional things and hire a spiritual director to help walk through some some spiritual blindness. There are pathways to community and relationship, and I suggest we take all of them we can. Mm. Justin, we have just about a minute left or so. As we pursue our dreams in these ways, how comfortable do we need to be if we get a no from God in taking those steps forward to, to trust that the Good Shepherd actually knows the best way forward with uh, for us and that we, if our dreams do fail or don't come to fruition, that we still lean and trust and surrender in the midst of that? If I'm going to say and believe that he holds all things together, one of those things is not just my life in a general sense, but the dreams I've got in my heart. That's the thing I've got to take in. I've got to take into this the idea that he really does hold all things together and that when Paul talked about what the hope of Christ looked like, what he talked about, he said that, he said that, the, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. I think I should be able to and really want to bank on those two things being true. I love it. Justin, I think you uh, clearly touched a nerve this morning. we got a lot of people texting in for a copy of this book. I'm sure it's available as well in all of the usual channels, Amazon and otherwise. Again, we're talking with author Justin McRoberts. The book, It Is What You Make of It, text the studio, the word book at 877-933-2484. We have some copies that we can give away. Justin, thanks so much time, uh, for the time and just sort of practical insight and the ease with which you talk about these things. Uh, my pleasure, man. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 14th of June. Well, great to be with you again this morning. That wraps up our show for today. A lot of great guests again coming in from a variety of angles. Just to sort of pick up on that last thought from author Justin McRoberts about 
being okay with God's no, that isn't an easy place to be. I have a dear friend of mine who just turned 68 years old, and he had gone through an incredibly sweet season of his life teaching the word around the world to groups of people, a variety of nations and peoples and, and groups. And it was an incredible time that God had taken him on the, the possibility of doing something like that. And he took a sabbatical at the age of 67 and thought, I, I, I just need to hear from God to continue doing this, assuming he was going to die in the saddle of teaching and just being able to live out the dream that I always had. And in the midst of that sabbatical, he heard very clearly from the voice of his shepherd, no, that time is coming to an end. The season was beautiful and fruitful and wonderful in so many ways, but it's time to do something different. And as I took him to the airport that day, we talked about what it meant to be grateful for seasons in life and also be grateful that God would continue to shepherd us in in the midst of the no, that we trust his no when it comes, even though it might be in conflict with dreams, desires, passions, and thoughts, however understandable they are that we might have to know that our good shepherd knows the way forward, the best for us. It's one of the hardest things I know for me in life when those desires and passions are there to be comfortable that somehow from the perspective that God brings in the infinite ways in which God does that, that uh, he would say, this is just not for you and your future. And that's best for you. So blessings on the rest of your day. Again, so enjoyable to start the day with all of you as fellow believers and fixing our eyes on Jesus together. Looking forward to tomorrow morning when we'll pick up this theme and walk through it all again. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.